All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, and welcoming Shireen Al-Ademi back to the show. She is an assistant professor at, wait, I forgot which university, it's uh, Michigan <laughs> State. And um, she's got this piece at In These Times called Truce or Not. Congress must urgently bring about a real end to the war on Yemen. Great piece. Again, uh, in these times, that's in these times.com. Welcome back to the show, Shireen. How are you doing? I'm good. It's good to be back. Uh, very happy to have you here. So um, let's start with the business first, which is there's a war powers resolution, HJ 87, in the U.S. House in regards to Yemen. What can you tell us about it? Yeah, so this is the culmination, again, of years of effort to try to get Congress to demand accountability from the president. Um, and it was, uh, it's essentially the War Powers Bill. So the War Powers Act of 1973 puts the authority of war making into Congress's hand and not the president's hand. But as we know, you know, U.S. presidents tend to ignore this particular law. Um, but they were challenged for the very first time using this law in 2019 when Congress passed a bipartisan bill to direct Trump to end his war in Yemen. And, uh, of course, he vetoed it at the time. But here we are again with um, members of Congress now directing President Biden to end his war in Yemen, although it hasn't gone to a vote yet. This is where we're still getting co-sponsors and trying to get um, support for the bill before it goes up for a vote in Congress. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, so um, I guess let's go ahead and start at the beginning. What's this war on Yemen that people need to be opposed to anyway? I know you know that most people have never even heard of this war, don't even know we're at war in Yemen at all. And this is the unfortunate part. I think we've seen over the last few months that it's not that people don't care about, you know, terrible things that are happening around the world. It's that you know, they're just not very well informed. Um, unlike the war in Ukraine, where we hear about it 24-7, right? Every time you listen to the radio or hear the news, um, the focus in the spotlight, rightfully so, is on this war and the egregious acts um, that are being committed against the Ukrainian people. And yet people don't quite know what's going on in Yemen, um, even though it's the world's still the world's worst humanitarian crisis and has been ongoing now for over seven years, since March of 2015. Uh, and I think the key difference is that we are the perpetrators. Our government here is the perpetrator in Yemen. The coalition that was put together by Saudi Arabia and the UAE in 2015 began bombing Yemen essentially to try to impose their own puppet government into Yemen. Uh, and they didn't expect a pushback from the rebel group, the Houthis. And here we are all these years later, and essentially the country has been destroyed. But the coalition, with full support from the United States under three presidents now, uh, has not been able to take over the country. They have control over some parts of the country where about 20% of the population lives. 70% is still living under this rebel group, which by now is the de facto government in Yemen, in northern Yemen. 
Um, and more recently, in the last few months, there's been a truce. So that's a big update, um, is that warring parties have finally sat together and are trying to put an end to this protracted war. Right. Now, so what can you tell us about this ceasefire? I know it's not perfect, but I'm also under the impression that it's really a much more meaningful uh, type of a ceasefire, you know, than anything in the past. And it's clearly meant to be a bridge toward a real peace here. What do you think of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for the very first time since March of 2015, um, starting in April, Yemenis were not bombed. Um, there were no airstrikes in, Ye- airstrikes in, in Yemen. Uh, this is coming from January of 2022, early this year, where there were about 600 civilians who were bombed. Um, so the attacks had been increasing for a while, and uh, the Houthis managed to also successfully launch attacks into Saudi Arabia and the UAE, you know, key kind of positions, not civilians, but uh, oil refinery in, in the UAE and Aramco, which is, you know, another oil refinery in in Jeddah and Saudi Arabia. And that's what pushed the Saudis to the negotiating tables because they realized for the first time that the Houthis are able to strike back at strategic locations. And so the truce comes about as a result of those negotiations that were taking place in Oman. And um, they were, they agreed to a two month uh, truce, which for the most part lasted and held. And then they extended the truce for another two months. So we're now in that second extension till August 2nd, and hopefully it'll just be permanent. Uh, in the meantime, and this is the part that concerns me, um, outside of the negotiations, the Saudis essentially went and dismissed the government that they told us was the legitimate government of Yemen that they were trying to impose back into power onto the Yemeni people. This is what gave them, quote unquote, legitimacy over the last seven years. They just told the president who had been based in Riyadh this whole time, President Hadi, to step down, step aside. Uh, He's no longer the president of Yemen. And they appointed a council of eight individuals um, in his stead. And these are the people who are now supposed to do continue negotiating with the Houthis and um, bring about some kind of lasting change and lasting peace deal in Yemen. My concern is who these people are and what their allegiances are. Um, And we can talk about that some more, but that's where we are right now. Yeah. Well, okay. So there's kind of two issues there. One of them is it's a huge climb down on the Saudis part that they're no longer insisting on putting Hadi in there. Then the question is, I guess, if they've appointed this council instead you know, how much does that seem to lend itself toward future compromise with the Houthis as compared to dealing with Hadi, for example? Right. Right. So four of the people in the council are um, basically have allegiance to the Saudis and have been funded by the Saudis. And the other four have allegiance and have been funded by the Emiratis. And so it's this equal split. And all of them, almost all of them have had Um, armed conflict with the Houthis. So in southern provinces and northern provinces, these are people who had been leading kind of the uh, UAE-funded or the Saudi-funded attacks and, you know, resistance to the Houthis. And in some cases, some of these members in the council have fought one another, (laughs) um, vying for power. For example, 
one of the members in the council is a UAE-backed uh, separatist whose organization, the STC, mm-hmm. has been calling for separatism, uh, you know, separation, secession of South Yemen from North Yemen, and have fought against the Hadi government uh, to vie for power in the South. And ever since the appointment of this council, there's been still lack of security in South Yemen, which this coalition supposedly controls. There have been attacks by Al-Qaeda. There have been attacks by presumably some of these people themselves um, because it's another power struggle. So I worry about that because to me, it just looks like a war council and not a diplomatic approach to solving the solution. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, never mind uh, Al-Qaeda and the Arabian Peninsula and so forth for the moment. Let me ask you this. Isn't it right that Back um, when the Houthis really seized power at the end of 2014, 2015, that they really recognized the fact that they were going to have to deal with the Southern Transitional Council or and or they're going to have to deal with the Muslim Brotherhood, Al-Islam and these different factions. They don't it's not an entire country of Zaidi Shiites who are just dying to do what the Houthis say. And so they were going to have to share power. But before they could work out any kind of deal, the Saudis started dropping bombs on everybody's head. Obama did. And so I wonder then, is it possible that aside from the fact that, yeah, we we are talking about factions backed by these outside countries, assuming that they're looking for a way to back out of the war, isn't it actually somewhat reasonable that you'd have four uh, guys from the Muslim Brotherhood and four guys from the Socialist Transitional Council from the South, and then you have four guys from the Houthi faction, and everybody comes together, they're the Council of Twelve, and come together and be the new sort of pseudo-democratic consensus kind of state for the country without killing each other anymore. What do you think? Yeah, I think that would have been great if these were diplomats, and they're not. They're warring parties, so <laughs> yeah. they're warlords, right? And so, yeah. um, you know, there's one among them who's not just in the Muslim Brotherhood, you know, the Islah Party of Yemen, which has ties to Al-Qaeda, but he's a Salafist, which is an even more, you know, fundamentalist group in Yemen. Yeah. Um, and he has uh, led the Giants Brigade, which is the UAE-funded group that, you know, fought the Houthis and and defeated the Houthis in the oil-rich province of Shabwa in the south. Mm. Um, these are not diplomats who are used to reaching solutions by talking. You know, they are they've been on the ground fighting for the most part, and that's what concerns me. And they've not been they're not representative of the Yemeni people. Um, but I, you know, this is it. This is what we've got to work with right now. Um, I still think, you know, I've always said that if foreign intervention in Yemen ends, Yemenis will still probably have civil war, uh, but they will solve their own problems eventually because you cannot just live in constant state of war. It doesn't help anyone. Um, but I worry that these particular individuals are going to continue to have foreign funding and foreign allegiances, uh, either through the UAE or through the Saudis. It'll just look like it's a bunch of Yemeni faces, but um, with foreign backing. The other issue here is that the Saudis still are in Mahra province in the south, and the UAE is uh, occupying two islands, two strategic islands, Sukhatra and Parim, also in the south, and have taken over oil fields in the south. So the Emiratis are still stealing resources and occupying Yemeni land, um, these have not been handed over to even this council that they've appointed. Yeah. And now, I mean, I know you're saying they're warlords and not diplomats, but if the Saudis and UAE weren't involved, would these be sort of the more or less leaders and top dogs within the Muslim Brotherhood and the STC and so forth? Or it would be STC entirely different groups of people, probably. 
I think it would probably be a more uh, a mix of people, maybe not these particular individuals. Um, some of them make sense, like the guy from the STC, for example. Um, others don't. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, it is the way forward is a coalition approach to this because, like you mentioned, uh, Yemenis were already in this position once where they were able to sign a deal, a UN mediated deal among themselves, and the Saudis just happened not to like that and began bombing instead. Um, yeah. but I had uh, forgotten you know, that the UN had brokered that. Thank you for reminding me yeah. of that important point. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. It was a UN brokered deal and the UN informed the Saudis that the deal was reached and they were looking for a place to sign the agreement. And the Saudis were saying that they wanted the agreement signed in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, I guess, to make it look like they had a hand in, um, you know, playing peacemaker. And instead they began bombing two days later. Yeah. What a disaster. Operation yeah. Decisive Storm, they called it, seven years ago. I don't think they right. know what decisive means. Um, or storm. Yeah, or storm, yeah, either. Those <laughs> should pass by morning, right? Um, right. So, now, the Giants Brigade, is that just a fancy name for Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula? It's just a fancy name for a bunch of mercenaries willing to fight the Houthis while being paid by the UAE. <laughs> and so, yeah. um, including yeah. Al Qaeda and the Arabian Peninsula. Including Al Qaeda, yeah. 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 Okay. So, not exclusively, though. I wonder if anyone has, you know, a good ballpark estimate of the percent of the Giants Brigade that really comes from the AQAP forces. Yeah, that would be interesting to look at. Um, but, you know, it's just shown how, um, I mean, in a way, they're just, this doesn't affect the UAE in any way, right? Like, they can come and fund terrorists, essentially, to to help them be their ground soldiers after they pulled their soldiers from the ground in Yemen in 2019 and called it a, you know, pull-out from Yemen. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't really affect them. It doesn't really matter to them who they pay and who, uh, what kind of chaos they they support uh, as long as the work that they want done is done, which is in this case, getting rid of the Houthis. And similarly, you know, the U.S. has supported, continued to support the Saudi coalition while knowing for, you know, 100% certainty that they were working with Al-Qaeda groups. And so everybody's just looking for their own interest and it didn't matter who they had to fund in order to get rid of the Houthis. And in the end, it wasn't successful anyway, but they've uh, strengthened these um, groups in Yemen, uh, you know, and Yemeni civilians are paying the, paying the price for that. Hang on just one second. Hey, guys, I had some wasps in my house, so I shot them to death with my trusty Bug Assault 3.0 model with the improved salt reservoir and bar safety. I don't have a deal with them, but the show does earn a kickback every time you get a Bug Assault or anything else you buy from Amazon.com by way of the link in the right-hand margin on the front page at scotthorton.org. So keep that in mind. And don't worry about the mess. Your wife will clean it up. Green Mill Supercritical is the award-winning leader in cannabis oil extraction. Their machines are absolute top of the line. They simply work better and accomplish more for less than any competitor in the world. We're talking anywhere from a couple of hundred thousand dollars for the base model and up. So this is for serious business people here. But the price, as they say, will be worth it. Green Mill Supercritical customers' investments pay for themselves oftentimes in just weeks. Simple enough for almost any operator. Deep enough for master technicians. Their new novel techniques for inline real-time winterization are leaving their competitors in the key. That's GreenMillSupercritical.com. 
man, I wish I was in school so I could drop out and sign up for Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom instead. Tom has done such a great job on putting together a classical curriculum for everyone from junior high schoolers on up through the postgraduate level, and it's all very reasonably priced. Just make sure you click through from the link in the right margin at scotthorton.org. Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom. Real history. Real economics. Real education. And now, refresh my memory, isn't it the case, Shereen, that the reason that the UAE pulled their forces out at that time, or their, the bulk of their main army out, was in reaction to public pressure on the U.S. Congress to pass this war powers resolution in order, you know, which Trump vetoed, but still made it clear that the not just the House, but the U.S. Senate was sick and tired of this and wanted to see an end to it. And the UAE seemed to kind of react right to that, didn't it? Yeah, and every time Congress made major moves to even threaten um, pulling support, either weapons or logistical support or intelligence or otherwise, um, there's been a reaction on the ground. So pulling out, the UAE pulling out uh, their ground troops in Yemen was one consequence. Um, the other was in late 2018, November 2018, Trump stopped the mid-air refueling, which was literally keeping those Saudi jets in the, in the air as they were bombing so they wouldn't have to stop and refuel uh, outside Yemen and come back up. The, the U.S. Army or um, Air Force had been providing mid-air support until late 2018. Um, and those are all consequences of bad PR and, you know, more kind of uh, press attention and as well as Congress's threats to invoke war powers or uh, their move toward pushing war powers through Congress. Right. And then, you know, when uh, Biden lied but claimed that he was going to end the war back a year and a half ago, the uh, Saudis sent ambassadors to Baghdad to meet with the Iranians right away. Yeah. It also goes to show that their intelligence about what goes on in America is not very good. If, you know, they react so strongly to these sort of tiny little half-hearted measures by American politicians, they go, oh, no. But anyway, that's good. At least they overreact instead of underreacting. Well, it's because they can't afford to underreact. I mean, this is probably the most incompetent military in history. I mean, they rely 100% on foreign support to train their soldiers and personnel to provide logistics to... Uh, provide fueling to, um, you know, acquire all of the weapons and the spare parts and the maintenance even contracts. They do nothing but put pilots on a plane who have been trained by the U.S., by the way, and um, the targets have already been chosen for them by the U.S., by U.S. intelligence, and they just hit a button, essentially. And so the Saudis are funding uh, this operation, but they have no idea how to actually uh, run it. (laughs) And that's why they react in this way. Right. Well, um, you know what? It's I know it's kind of difficult to convince people because I even feel it myself. You know, when somebody's telling me, call your congressman. Yeah. Jeez, Mm -hmm. what good is that going to do? But the thing of it here is you have all of us doing this at once and all different political factions and organizations and people kind of trying to whip their group members together. And then as I've been trying to beg people, because I really think this does matter. Boyfriends, girlfriends, wives, husbands. Mothers, fathers, brothers and sisters, co-workers and friends and next door neighbors and cousins that listen, you know, everybody has a good dozen people in their circle, something of people that they can talk to. And that's a huge force multiplier. If everybody does that, everybody who really cares about this, not only calls, 
but gets five or six people to call to, then we're talking tens and tens and tens of thousands of calls flooding Congress where they just cannot help the fact that, wow, regardless of whether TV brought this up or not, for whatever reason, the American people yeah. really care about this and are determined to see it through. And then, you know, as you said, presidents do what they want. But if the Congress passes this, especially by large majorities in both houses, be much more difficult for Biden to veto it than Trump, especially while it's, while the Congress is still in Democratic hands right now. Um, and then that yeah. could be what it takes. That could really be what it takes. And and don't you in uh, your read too that Ben Salman and Ben Zayed they want out of this too. The Houthis have blown oh, yeah. up their refineries a few too many times. Some elders in their royal courts or somebody are mad as hell at them, and they have to find a way to wind this thing up. They need our help to wind up the end of this war. Isn't that right, Shireen? Absolutely. This has been, you know, by, I, I remember reading years ago, Jamal Khashoggi, um, the guy, you know, the j journalist that Mohammed bin Salman had, had killed, ordered his killing, ordered his killing. Um, Khashoggi wrote in one of his articles for the Washington Post that the Saudis are spending something like $200 million a day on Yemen. Um, and this has been ongoing for seven years. And so they're losing a lot of money and they're not seeing anything in return except for a tarnishing of their reputation. Um, it's really hard to justify. It's impossible to justify what they're doing in Yemen, you know, starving children and blockading and bo dropping bombs and destroying an entire country essentially so that they can uh, supposedly, you know, install a legitimate government, govern government who they've just gone ahead and dismissed right now and appointed somebody else in, in his place. So um, they want out of this and um, the U.S. should want out of this. The problem is control. These people really want to control Yemen because of its strategic location. They didn't want to just hand off um, Yemen's Bab and Mandab Strait, which is, you know, uh, a really important strategic location for shipping, for oil shipments and just international shipping in general. They didn't want to hand that off to the Houthis, to a government that was clearly anti-Saudi and anti-U.S., but they didn't realize that it's not up to them who, who gets to rule Yemen and it shouldn't be up to them and it shouldn't be up to us to decide what happens in other people's lands. Uh, as we've seen in Ukraine, like people are appalled that Russia is trying to impose its will on a sovereign nation and we should be just as appalled that the Saudis and the Emiratis and the U.S. has been trying to impose its will on the Yemeni people uh, and we should just let sovereign countries behave in sovereign ways. And so the ask here is simple. We're not asking for aid. We're not asking for intervention. We're asking to stop intervening in Yemen, to stop bombing civilians, to stop blockading food and medicine, um, and lift all sanction, all you know, uh, blockades and whatnot, so that Yemenis can finally begin to rebuild, rebuild their lives. Yeah, and look, I mean, there's no reason to think. I'm, I can't vouch for the Houthi tribe here or whatever, but I just can't imagine, or, or this political faction, I can't imagine that once they get peace, what they're going to try to do is prevent the U.S. Navy and their commercial allies from sailing through the Red Sea because now's their they've chance to get it. themselves nuked or something, you know? Come on. Exactly. They, they've never threatened it. Um, they have not, they, you know, it, it'll be, they'll be working against themselves if they do that. Um, they can't afford to isolate themselves like that, uh, you know, on the global front. Uh, it's just a matter of control because the Saudis have long intervened in Yemen. Anybody following Yemeni-Saudi relations, we know that it goes 100 years back. They've always intervened in Yemen's issues. They've always wanted to control whoever's in power, 
to make sure that they were their allies. And they panicked when the Houthis uh, began to take power. And by bombing Yemen, they've just actually made the Houthis even stronger than before because they weren't really a big deal before all of this. Um, they were just known as a small group of fighters from the north. Now they are the de facto government in Yemen that controls, you know, where 80% of the people live. And they've managed to have large numbers of people uh, join their movement and, you know, in defense of the country's lands, right? And so they've driven them, they've made them stronger. They've driven them closer to Iran. And so they've not achieved any of their goals. Uh, it's just time for them to, to just let go. Yeah. I think that's true. They've got to admit it. And well, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't rub their nose on it too much, but it's just true that war is the health of the state. And in this case, they just proved it. You know, uh, um, my friend and regular interviewee, Nasser Arabi from Sanaa, told me yeah. years ago that it doesn't matter that the people of the country aren't all Zaidi Shiites and Houthis. Yeah. It's just like if the Texans are in charge of the White House for a little while. It doesn't mean that Bush isn't all of our president on September 11th or whatever. We saw what happened. His approval rating went to 90 percent. So yeah. in other words, you know, to put words in his mouth a little bit, but to paraphrase, we're all Houthis now. If they happen to be in charge of our security forces at the moment that we're being attacked by foreign powers, of course, that increases support for their, you know, the same way. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy Carter's uh, Iraqi, uh, you know, sponsored Iraqi invasion of Iran helped solidify support for the Ayatollah after the revolution there. Exactly. And then people can sort out their own issues later. But right now they're in crisis mode. And if they're looking at the currency, for example, the currency is much stronger in Houthi controlled areas than they are in supposedly liberated lands. Right. We're talking 550 rials to a dollar in North Yemen, where the Houthis control, versus 1,100 rials in the South, where you know this coalition controls. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, if we're looking at security, there is no Al Qaeda in Northern Yemen anymore. The Houthis were very successful in driving them out. There are no bomb attacks. There, there's no internal um, instability in areas that are controlled by the Houthis, and so people in the South are even looking to the North and saying, "Well, at least the Houthis know how to." how to control, you know, their own security. Um, and uh, <laughs> whereas people in these liberated areas right now, and I say liberated as quote-unquote because it's a mishmash of Saudi, UAE, Al-Qaeda, Southern Transitional Council, and now this War Council and Hadi's government and whatnot, uh, but people have been protesting the last month or so because there was this injection of $3 billion into the economy, um, by the Saudis and the Emiratis, but people still don't have uh, access to fuel. They're, they still can't afford food. They still can't afford, you know, to have, uh, you know, uh, basic needs like electricity, for example, because of shortages, it's always getting cut off. And these are the hottest months in Yemen. So people are very frustrated and they don't understand why they can't have just basic services. Um, whereas in northern Yemen, the big problem had been airstrikes by the Saudi coalition and, of course, the blockade. Um, and starvation. So um, with those lifted, presumably people will, you know, they don't have a reason to revolt against the Houthis because security-wise, things seem to be fine in northern Yemen. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, so for the bombs falling out of the sky uh, when we don't have a ceasefire. Exactly. So three yeah. cheers for the ceasefire. And now here's my call to action real quick is just 833-STOP-WAR. It's a group called Demand Progress. They're a progressive group, but nonpartisan group. And uh, essentially, 
they'll just forward you, the robot just forwards you right onto your congressman. You just put in your uh, zip code, they'll forward you right on, call during business hours. I like to try to emphasize to people, if you have a Democratic congressman, tell him, Biden needs our support. That's why we have to pass this thing. He said he wants to end this war and this is going to help him end it. Right. And if you live in a Republican district, emphasize America first and Obama started it and Joe Biden sucks at it. And we don't believe in all this policing the world anymore. In other words, don't come at the right from the left and the left from the right. Come at them from where they are and just ask them to be good at being a Democrat or Republican, just like they already are. But just let them know you really care about this. Make it easy for them. Oh, and one more thing I wanted to emphasize. When you and I were on that uh, conference call on Zoom with the other mm-hmm. activists uh, earlier last week or this week, um, one of the, uh, I forgot who it was, but one of the activists, it might have been you, uh, said that they had been talking to uh, one of the staffers on Capitol Hill and the staffer for the congressman was saying, please, more phone calls, whatever you guys can do to get us more phone calls because it really helps them, the staffers who are already convinced, they need to be able to tell their boss, the phone's ringing off the hook, the people, they won't leave us alone, we can't get our other work done because of all the Yemen this and that. That's what is so important for their, you know, the setting that they exist in, in that office, they need the phone ringing. They said so. Believe them yeah. when they say that, right? So it's 833-STOP-WAR. And uh, if you need any talking points at all, there's spe- essentially left-leaning uh, talking points especially. They're at 1-833-STOPWAR.COM. Good idea, right? 1-833-STOPWAR.COM. And now you go ahead with uh, whatever all call to action and however people can get involved that you'd like them to know about, Shereen. This is it, really. We just have to end this war. And this is one of the very few ways we can end it, because, like I said, we don't control what's happening inside Arabia. We can't control what's happening in Yemen. We can control what our own lawmakers are doing and not doing. And yes, I know that there are lots of issues in the U.S. right now and people are upset about very various things, but uh, we can't neglect this issue any further. We can't let President Biden lie his way through uh, you know, saying he's going to end this war and just either escalating it or not doing anything about it. And you can't let him claim credit for the truce either, to be honest. Um, the truce is a culmination of talks between warring parties, and uh, we need it to stay that way. We need it to turn into a permanent truce, but we can't have, even if it, whether it holds or not, we need to codify this so that we make it clear that this is unconstitutional. And we cannot be intervening in this conflict. It's not to anybody's benefit. Uh, and this is just a simple way to do it. Just call. And writing letters is good, but phone calls, like you mentioned, are so much more important to these staffers because they really understand that people care about this issue and they can highlight it to the congressperson uh, and make it top priority. Right on. Okay. So uh, that is Shireen Al-Ademi. She is assistant professor at Michigan State University. She's got this excellent piece for you to share with your friends, especially uh, left-leaning ones here in thesetimes.com. Truce or not, Congress must urgently bring about a real end to the war on Yemen. Thank you so much again for your time, Shereen. Great talking to you, Scott. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. APSradio.com Antiwar.com scotthorton.org, and libertarianinstitute.org.